HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Henry Rich, entrepreneur, restaurateur, and wine guy. We'll talk to Henry about the food scene in Brooklyn, natural wines, and his new restaurant, Meta. We'll taste the California ferment for our weekly wine sip. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Henry Rich has made his mark on Brooklyn Dining and the Brooklyn Dining wine scene. He's managing partner of Purse Lane, a catering and events company in Brooklyn. Rucola, did I forget? Yeah, no, you got it. Rucola, which is a rustic northern Italian uh, restaurant in Borham Hill. Fitzcarraldo, an event space in Bushwick. Franklin and Kent in Greenpoint, another event space and uh, a Threes Brewery location. And his newest restaurant, Meta, an open fire asado style restaurant in Fort Greene. Henry has been working towards providing sustainable, healthy, delicious, and affordable food in Brooklyn since first opening Rucola in 2011. All of Henry's restaurants have an inventive and interesting wine program, including June, his natural wine bar in Cobble Hill. I'm done reading. Well, thank well, you. <laughs> welcome to the show, Henry. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. All right, so I want to give our audience a little uh, background on who you are, because you've certainly, like I said, made your mark on the uh, restaurant scene in Brooklyn. So give us a little background. Tell us about your journey in life, wine, and restaurants that got you to pretty much where you are today, which is here, and Meta, which is your current project. And, you know, do it chronologically with restaurant openings. Sure. Um, well, actually, my first job out of college was working in a wine shop uh, in Princeton. Really? Actually, yeah, the corkscrew. Um, where, from, where was that? Uh, that was on Hullfish in, okay. in Palmer Square. Right, right, right. And I, I worked for a guy there that kind of taught me the value of um, doing things of quality, but also keeping them within a price range that people could actually afford and taking some pride in that. Um, Something you've carried through. Yeah, I've tried. Uh, people would come in asking for a bottle between 20 and $30, and he would sell them something for, for 10 but he would, said it was going to be better than what they expected, and then they were a customer for life. So uh, we definitely took that attitude into Rucola, where we tried to kind of over-deliver for, for the price point in that neighborhood and just 
make a... Well, don't jump ahead. Rucola is one of your restaurants, but before you got to Rucola, anything else happening? Uh, I started a, a breath mint company that... Which I thought was curious when I <laughs> yeah. read that. Just let's quickly talk about that yeah, for we, a half a minute. We can talk about that. So this that, very so. funky mint called oral fixation. Right, yes. Kind um, of retro package. Just what motivated you to it, do it? I, I was just out of college and, and I had this idea of starting a business and um, uh, it, was, it was awesome. We, we started with food manufacturing and then... Um, went national and then we went international and, um, you know, that was, it was pretty exciting because we were distributed in 35 countries across coffee shops. How long were you at that? Uh, six years. Wow. Yeah. Pretty much into the, yeah, no, it was, it was good until the recession, at which point, uh, we had a British distributor bought by an Icelandic bank and Lehman Brothers private label, you know, yeah, customers in Korea, Brazil. I mean, I was I was just basically in way over my head right. as my first first job. Pretty interesting. Though. Um, yeah, we sold it in 2010, and then, um, but in in doing that, I got a taste for hospitality because we were working in hotels, selling to coffee shops, and um, I was hanging out with these people that were having a lot more fun than than I was in in confection. So. Uh, the, the week I sold oral fixation is the week actually I I found Rucola and started the process for. Um, when you say found it, you're walking down the street, you see the location, and you say, oh, "Yeah, I, something I, here." I, I saw the number across the street. I went into Borum Hill with the intention of looking for a space, and um, I got lucky. Uh, honestly, the landlord had just posted it. It was Sunday, so I was the first person to call her. I was first in line, and some people outbid me, but um, she she actually was really great. She respected the fact that we called first, and uh, a year later we opened Rukla. Took a year to get it open. Oh yeah, it, it took six months the construction, but just kind of, um, I had never worked in a restaurant before. But and you were side by side with your cousin. That's right, Julian. So you had somebody that you knew and trusted. Julian was a manager at Prime Meats at the time, and so he kind of knew what was going on in the neighborhood. And um, obviously, you know, I, I trusted Is Prime him. Meats, the Frankie's mm-hmm. place. Yeah, he was okay. a Frankie's before that, and okay. he's gone on to open. Um, Grand Army, and then um, Celestine in in a couple weeks in Dumbo. Is Grand Army with Damon? Yeah. Damon does a show on uh, Heritage. uh, Yeah. More of a cocktail show. Mm -hmm. All right, so you open. So just fill me in. When you kind of sold off the mint business and you were intrigued by the hospitality business, did you say to yourself, let me look around Brooklyn or Manhattan or the village? What? When I found this location, I, I I knew that that was that was it. Where were you living? Um, I was living in Bed Stuy. Okay. And before so before Rukula opened, I moved to Cobble Hill just so you were to be closer. Guy. Yeah. Um, so you opened Rukula two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven, and um, it's it's five blocks from where I first lived uh, after I was born. I was uh, living in Carroll Garden, so. It was it was cool to be able to bring my dad there, and he remembered the old neighborhood. And, really, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So that's uh, over six years ago. So that's your first place you get on the map. How long until you get involved in the second project, and why? Uh, six months. Really? Um, yeah. It started the the RFP for for Third Ward, um, and uh, you know I was just kind of inspired by this neighborhood back then, and and all the parties they were doing, all the all the events they were throwing and um, all of the kind of educational things. And, and back from, you know, I don't know if you remember, but before they closed, I mean, it was a pretty cool place to be. And so we, we opened Fitzcarraldo within Third Ward, and within two months of opening, Third Ward was no longer there. And it was just a gigantic empty building for six so months. So Third Ward was the building. Third Ward had the entire building. Right, and it was we this were, incredible space on the yeah. east end of Williamsburg or Bushwick. Yeah, basically we were a tiny little restaurant inside Downstairs. of a hotel that basically just disappeared and went out of business. So it was... Uh, <laughs> when was that? That was in the fall of 2013. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, that was exciting, uh, surviving that winter. Right. And uh, we ran that for a while, and um, now we run it as an event space. We do a lot of work with nonprofits, and 
just, you know, any friends that want to have a dinner party in there. Right. And um, we do pop-ups. Chefs Sixty to hundred people, that type of place? Yeah, when in the summer when okay. we can use outdoors. Right. Um, we do weddings. We did a wedding there over this weekend. Um, we've got, I think, you know, close to 10 booked this September fall. September is huge. Yeah. You know, yeah, we it's had, like the perfect weather. So that was three, four years ago when you put that one out there. Yep. All right, so then we move on to... Um, then the next thing that I opened was June, June Wine Bar. Okay. Um, and I opened that with my uh, friend Tom, who is working at the farm on Adderley. He had been buying natural wine for a while and was friends with um, Nick Gorvik from Jenny and Francois. And we all kind who of... Who's a big yeah. uh, natural wine uh, importer and distributor. Um, and I, I, I want to talk about that a little later. I want to yeah. just set up the restaurant. So you opened June Wine Bar, which is a natural wine bar. Extremely uh, natural. Extremely natural. Yeah. You know, we say that lightly, but you walk in there and every offering is natural. Um, you opened that when? Uh, we opened that in January of 2015. Okay. And so that's, uh, you're going on three years on that. Um, I'll come back to on that. So we go from June to what? Um, then we opened Cassette, which was um, Cassette. a French Catalonian concept, which is now F&K. Um, my, my catering company basically works out of the kitchen. So F&K stands for Franklin and Kent. Yeah, just the, the neighborhood right. location in Greenpoint. Um, so we run the catering out of there. And Threes has an outpost up there. Now, Threes is a brewery. Mm -hmm. Where do they brew their beer? Uh, Gowanus. Gowanus. Yeah. So you've pretty much set up a Threes brew pub. Pretty much. In the space along with, is it exclusively Threes beer or Um, can you get cocktails? I think, oh yeah, yeah. We have a full program. A full program and all that. Um, And then um, I worked on Metrograph for a year, kind of as consulting restaurateur. Um, and then I think that brings us up to Meta, which will Meta will talk about towards the uh, end of the segment. Most recently, I'm I'm doing the food program also for nowadays out in uh, Ridgewood, um, which is opening uh, kind of a 300 person club. Um, different ownership, different ownership. So yeah. people pull at you Sunday to help guys. and consult exactly, just because they like what you've done, which we'll get into. All right, so that's who Henry is. Henry's got some pretty successful happening places. It doesn't sound like a long time, but five, six years, you know, with a restaurant is a pretty, you know, good run when there's no, you know, nothing in the way to keep it from, you know, not going. All right, so I'm curious about a bunch of things. I have a bunch of questions. Why did you choose Brooklyn to open restaurants? You may have answered it a little, but you came back. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's just, uh, maybe cause I, I first lived here, but, um, I feel like these are communities that I, I kind of understand and, and wanted to serve. And, um, I really enjoyed these neighborhoods and after running a brand that was international, um, where I was just, you know, working at my desk, sending emails to Australia and Japan and, you know, traveling to trade shows and I, I couldn't really see the business, you know, we had warehouses all over and I, I really just wanted um you know a brick you, and mortar you yearned yeah for hospitality and to serve people and I, I wanted to create, create a space that would um kind of give something to a neighborhood that was important to me and I wanted to be able to see our guests I wanted to be able to actually see the business and kind of fix it in real time as opposed to having this big kind of scalable abstract brand out in the world it's Rukula is very tangible you can walk inside and right see if things are going well so so brooklyn very neighborhoody mm-hmm. uh how would you define or differentiate it from let's say the east village or the west village or soho i mean what's the feel that's there um for me it just it, it felt a little bit more um european more approachable and um uh, there restaurants in Manhattan, you know, you have some of the best restaurants in the world and, and prices. I, I was never interested in opening a restaurant that um, only served kind of, you know, the financial services industry or people could only afford to go to once a year. And I just I didn't feel like there were as many opportunities in Manhattan neighborhoods to open a place that even I could afford to, to go right. to on a regular basis. I had mentioned in the intro that besides sustainability, affordability. Yeah, thanks for noticing. Yeah, yeah we, I mean, and very and important. Continue, continued that. Um, so you're happy you're in Brooklyn. 
tell me this for me. When, when did the, quote, hipster restaurant scene, or whatever word you want to use, begin in Brooklyn? I, I remember years ago, and I'm older than you, Brooklyn Heights was sort of cool. You know, that's not in the discussion now. You have Greenpoint, you have Williamsburg, you have Borum Hill, Cobble, Clinton, Carroll. But when in your mind or when did you notice that Brooklyn really became a destination for inventive and creative people in restaurants? I I think it, you know, it happened in stages. I remember when I think maybe it was grocery got like a 28 in Zaga and back when people were really tracking that. No, it was, I think... It was the grocery. It was just the grocery. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, sure. Carlo, not Marlo. Uh, well, yeah, he, I mean, obviously in 99 created kind of the ultimate hipster destination. In, in was Dyer. that a fair kickoff that time? 99 was the beginning of another? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't here okay. and, I, and I, don't, I don't know that my restaurants are, are, are terribly hip. You know, I, I never found that we were in, in conversation with... Um, places like like Tarlow's. I mean, I was more looking to recreate some version of a of a small town restaurant that I may have found in you know some outskirt of Paris or. Well, I'll Northern pay Italy. you a compliment because by not trying to be hip and just to follow your idea and plan, which was to create an affordable neighborhood restaurant with you know sustainably offered foods and all of that. That's hip without, it's the right thing, and the right thing is cool, and that's hip. So don't be insulted that it's a hipster place. It's just a very, you know, hip con. Meta, your new place, which we'll talk about, is a very cool concept, which makes it hip and all of that. But I guess you push off the hipster thing, you know. Well, I mean. But there's definitely a Williamsburg hipster. and I did open a restaurant in Third Ward, and we are sitting in in Roberta, so. Right. You're. And Roberta's played a part in uh, getting people in Bushwick, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, All right, so each restaurant, different food theme. How do you how you come up with the concepts? Like, um, you know, we we tried to do something context contextually appropriate. Um, so the neighborhoods that I've been lucky to to open in, um, many of them are just so inspiring in their own right. Um, Rucola, I think a big part of the reason people like it is, is because you can't get into Rucola without walking on a beautiful block in every direction. Um, the, the neighborhood is very, is very special and there aren't that many neighborhoods in New York like that, um, that aren't already overrun with restaurants. Right. So there I wanted to create, you know, um, the perfect neighborhood restaurant, nothing more, nothing less. And in order to do that, we figured, okay, this has to be affordable enough. This has to be healthy enough that people can come here three to four times a week. I wanted to have a bit of a vegetable focus, hence the name. And um, then... So how do you focus in on Italian eventually? um, I wanted to do something ingredient-driven. Honestly, because of my my training and my first wine job, uh, my, my boss was French and he was... You know, Mr. Terroir and the all guy about, in Princeton. Yeah, really. Yeah, and and um, you know, I realized that that kind of the food equivalent to his wine philosophy was was Italian, and I wanted to do things with uh, kind of inspired by the slow food movement, and you know, that came out of Northern Italy, and and so it's I, I don't Those it was, were the influences. Yeah, it wasn't terribly sophisticated. We just you know. Um, and I didn't want to do a Southern Italian place because there were so many of those in the neighborhood. Right. So, so you, you kind of found your niche. Patrick Martins, who pretty much started uh, Heritage Radio, owns Heritage Foods, which is a heritage mm-hmm. meat distributor. And he brought the slow food movement with Carlo Petrini to the U.S. 20, 25 years ago and still pretty much involved, which is a nice thing. Um, so wine's a pretty important part of all your restaurants. You know, you and I talked off air. You're a wine-centric guy. Um, You told people how you got into it. I think wine is an important offering. Um, So each restaurant is different. Let's just talk about, you know, how you determine what wines for each restaurant. I, I would guess it's cuisine, but you have an overall philosophy. The philosophy is... Natural. 
more yeah. more natural, um, but but really um, wines that come from a particular place and a particular style. Um, if you try every single wine on my list and you like every one, then we're, we have nowhere near a diverse enough collection. I, I want the wines to to have very clear perspectives, um, and you know I think my palate may just be a little. I like simpler, kind of cleaner, clearer expressions of, of fruit and structure. Um, I think they go well with food. And, you know, I, I like them by themselves. So that's kind of my, and I want them to be affordable-ish. Right. So rucola, you would, I you would, I would not guess. I know. I mean, I've I've seen the list. I haven't been in there. Is a heavy Italian offering. Yep. But. It's not the traditional classic Italian Brunello Barolo. Yeah, um, you know what? What? What are some cool things that are in there? Um, one of my favorite things is probably, um, uh, and we have this at Meta as well, um, Diotan Fumin. Um, Wait, from, say that again. Uh, Fumin. Um, it's from the Valdost. Fumin is what the grape. Yeah, the, it's the grape. Spell it. Uh, F U M I N. This is this is a show to consumers, so yeah. we try to drop knowledge on them. So F U M I N. Yeah, from Italy. From from, yeah, from Valdosta, um, which is where. Uh, is to the northwest of Piedmont on okay. the French border, and so you know, in looking at the history of this region, we got kind of excited because. All of northern Italy was, you know, used to be these little statelets, and it was the Duchy of Piedmont and Savoy, and I, I love Savoy wines as well. So I was also hoping that these kind of northwestern Italian wines would, would be a little bit, you know, more French in style, and, and nowhere is that more the case than the, the Val d'Ost. And um, uh, in that region, I also really like um, uh, a Prier Blanc from uh, Hermes. Spell Prier for me. Uh, P-R-I-E. Blanc, um, B-L-A-N-C, Blanc, from uh, Pavese. Um, that's a Rosenthal wine that okay. I, I really love. So the, these are things that are out there that you really sought out through distributors that really go out and dig up and curate wines. And then your job is to go to all these great distributors and importers and to find stuff. Yeah, find, find stuff that punches above its weight. Within the price point, right? You know, it's not difficult to put a bunch of expensive wines on a list that that are good, but it, it's hard to when they're mostly below sixty dollars. You have to work a little. Right, sixty dollars on your list. Yes, and you know we don't have to give anyone the formula, but you mark it up. So yep. you're looking for wines that really wholesale for a very very reasonable yeah. price. Do you travel abroad to taste wines, or you're too busy? You don't have time. I've been trying to figure out how to justify that. Um, I think all my other guests do. Chef <laughs> yeah. Peru from Ten Bells is in Europe for like three months. No, I know. Pascaline is in you know France. This was a part of the plan originally. <laughs> right. Um, I just keep keep opening restaurants. I, I think I may go That's a um, good thing. in February um, to the Loire. Trip. Okay. Um, I've never done it. I've always wanted to. Is and that a region that interests you? Yeah. I mean, value and Loire. Wine. Loire has always interested me for value, and now it's just kind of the one of the hotbeds of natural winemaking. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's, so that'll be another way to uh, find high quality, high quality, reasonably priced wines. Yep. So France offers that opportunity. The Loire, mm-hmm. Languedoc. Ardash. The regions you mentioned in Italy. Uh, the southwest of France South. also has a lot of um, really interesting wines, and I, I learned about those, again, from, from the guy in Princeton. Um, Cowar, uh, we have one on the list uh, by the glass at um, Meta, and it's, it's this region of France that's been making Malbec right. forever. C-A-H-O-R. Yeah, C- it's the home of Malbec. Yep. You know, now it's kind of dist, but... Now there are good Malbec makers. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's rustic. Um, it's from you know a slightly less fancy part of France, and uh, they make incredible wine: Gaillac, Marciac, uh, Gironçon. I mean, I, I love these wines, right? And and that um, they always have a place on any list that I do. All right, so let's talk about natural wines specifically. Um, you opened a natural wine bar called June. Mm-hmm. What compelled you to do that? Everything we talked about led you to, now let me have a, tell me why you opened June. Um, 
a couple of different reasons. Uh, I, I went to France and, and was honestly um, very directly inspired by the scene there. In um, you know, whenever I went, uh, the 20, 2013, and I uh, went to kind of all the places like the Chateaubriand, Septime, Le Bercou, and um, thought I would really love to go to a place like this in Brooklyn. This was before you know the Four Horsemen opened. The only place that I was getting natural wine regularly um, that was a bar was Ten Bells. Right. Um, and I would go to restaurants to drink good wine. And, and, you know, Tom and I would talk about this. We might go to Franny's or something. And uh, the no other more. thing. Yeah. No more Franny's. Um, the other thing uh, was that in Cobble Hill, there were a lot of great bars like Long Island and, um, you know, Henry Public and others. Um, but they were all um, there, there was nothing kind of as feminine as the I like my restaurants to to feel. Um, and so more we're like French, more, more, more what, French and like um, a septine wine cave or yeah. And, and, and Cobble Hill just has a lot of bars that are, that are kind of, um, bar bars, bar bars. Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of them. And I was like, eh, maybe something that's like a little bit more kind of delicate and romantic. And, um, so we wanted to be a neighborhood bar for, uh, where adults could, you know, go and drink a lot of natural wine and kind of, uh, have fun. So did you know, because, you know, I've been doing this show for over a year and the natural wine movement has been very prominent on this show and Brooklyn sort of seems like ground zero for the natural wine movement, the raw wine fairs coming here Mm -hmm. in November and all that. Um, Is there a reason why Brooklyn sort of is a hotbed? I mean, I I guess in a way you contributed a little, but Uh, the interest too. Yeah, I think I think June, um, and you know, I'm I'm probably one of the people that knows the least about natural. I mean, my partners at June are incredibly knowledgeable, um, but uh, I think Tarlo really helped, um, and Lee Campbell and those programs, um, and and the importers. Um, they brought it in when they got going years ago. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people were just inspired by the scene in. France and why Brooklyn? I think it's easier to do, um, you know, more risky, innovative things when things aren't quite as expensive and there's not as much, um, you know, money flying around and things aren't as entrenched and right uh, competitive. The, bi- the business know. part is a big deal. I mean, it's a real thing. Yeah, I mean, June and the Four Horsemen. They stick out in their neighborhoods. You know, if you put them in the East Village or the West Village. Maybe it would just be perceived as another bar. They're yeah, very neighborhoody, and, and I mean, there's been a good place to drink natural wine downtown for like a decade. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, we we wanted to bring it to these neighborhoods, and um, you know, I'd like to think that June June has played a, a small part in right. kind of expanding people's exposure to extremely natural wine. When, <laughs> well, that. I always wonder about that because people wander into a June and they have no clue that they're wandering into a bar that has really thought out and curated a natural wine list. And then there are people that, you know, this is my thing and here it is and this is a great place. People that do still a lot of people walk in that, you know, hey, this is a nice looking bar. I hope so. Well, yeah, you hope so. But I mean, in your calculations and estimations, I mean, it's a destination for some people. We've been around a little bit longer now. People know. People know and hopefully come back and they bring people and they have their story. You know, but it's not just wine. We put as much effort into the beer list and into the cocktails and honestly, the whole offering is curated. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's um, the food's complimentary to the. Yes. To the liquid offerings and all that. All right, so let's stay on natural wines. And, you know, I may make you a little uncomfortable here because you said you're not an expert. But you are an expert in the sense that you're in and out of these places every day and you see what you're ordering and people. I usually ask when it's appropriate, you know, tell me about trends in wine and all that. I'm asking you more specifically, are there any trends in natural wines? Like, do you see things going away or things happening? Is orange wine still as hot? Is there something or a region that you see? Are you ordering more of something, getting asked for? you feel any of that? Definitely orange wine continues to um, be the lead talking point that um, I think it's really easy to like and can be very complex. And um, 
you know, this simple idea of a, it's it's a white wine vinified like a red. Um, it's, it's just very easy to communicate and um, the taste Now explain that it. for a second. It's a white wine where they leave the skins on. Correct. And yeah. the skins give the wine the color or the orangey. But at some point they pull the skins out. Yeah, after. Versus you know, a cab couple, or something. A couple weeks. Um, right. But... Uh, yeah, we you know have um, an orange section at Meta. Um, we have an orange and a sparkling orange section at June. Um, <laughs> Only June would have a sparkling orange section. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What? Um, what? Any other stuff? I mean, any other? Um, I've been buying a lot from Savoie. Okay. Um, I've always really liked that region. So you're, you're because of that, and they make good wines. You're introducing people to Savoir. That's the value of yeah. a place like June. And and, and they, they have a lot of really interesting um, kind of microclimates um, up in the mountains. Um, Very cool. Jura. I, I, I feel like natural wine is still at the beginning of, of becoming more, you know, mainstream. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is that they tend to be non-industrialized. So uh, if you have a really small producer that gets really, really famous, it just becomes more and more highly allocated and more right. expensive. So, you know, it's um, the movement needs to expand to keep up with demand right. so it doesn't become another kind of burgundy situation. But, you know, you talk about that because the interest, the interest, you know, gets higher and the demand obviously gets higher, and the producers are these smaller, you know, natural winemakers. They only produce as much as they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you see bigger restaurants when you talk about mainstream moving into, you know, a deeper natural wine offering? Like, would you go into per se, and you know, they're going to start laying out? I mean, it's right for some places and not for others, or. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think um, most of the big lists at this point, if they have absolutely no natural wines, um, would, would be, you know, remiss. If, if somebody comes in for an expensive right. tasting menu and they say, I want, you know, a, a chilled um, natural red wine and, and you've got nothing on, on like a 20 page book. Well, that's, that's the other side. The restaurant should be smart enough and have a responsibility. What I'm worried about is I'm not sure the guy that's going to per se or any of those restaurants is really looking to drink natural wines. I hope that changes. I think it And will. there's other yeah. opportunities at other places, you know, to drink that. All right. So while we're on trends, is there anything, is Brooklyn any different than anywhere else as far as trends or is trend even fair? Because I got your ire up when I use the word hip. No, no. I, I, I just, I don't know how trendy we are. Um, but but uh, what you see around, I mean, people are asking for or looking for. I mean, I, I think that, um, uh, yeah, I think the natural, the natural wine. And, and I guess if you could, you know, expand that a little bit, um, a lot of the kind of low intervention techniques of natural wine, I would say that we, you know, bring to some of the food, um, in, in meta as well, um, where we're using, uh, kind of age old preservation techniques. Um, I want to come to that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break um, and then we'll come back. I want to talk to you about Meta. We'll talk about the food, the type of food, the wines. Um, I want you to talk about what kind of wines go with that type of food after you uh, describe that. And then I also want to subject you to our wine list, answer a bunch of, bunch of questions, and then we will drink a little wine. So we're talking to Henry Rich, Brooklyn restaurateur and wine guy, and we'll be back with him in a minute. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Henry Rich. Henry Rich is a prominent Brooklyn uh, restaurant and wine guy. And I want to talk to Henry about his latest and newest project, which is in Brooklyn. 
and it's a very interesting concept. It's called Meta, M-E-T-T-A. And Henry, I want you to do two things. One, I want you to tell people what, what Meta means, and then let's talk about what the restaurant is. Meta translates to? Loving kindness meditation. There you go. So it's just an analogy for hospitality. And, okay. Um, yeah, basically you're sending out good vibes into the world. That's a nice thing. And Meta is an interesting restaurant. Describe it to me. Uh, Meta is a wood-fired restaurant in Fort Greene um, that uses uh, lacto-fermentation. Um, we're a 100% seasonal um, local restaurant. And uh, my chef is um, Argentine Roberto Piatoni. Who worked for? He worked for a number of different people, including um, Francis Mallman. Uh, Who is the god of... Asado cooking. Yep. And then or outdoor open fire. Yeah. Indoor. And um, we actually went down to Uruguay uh, together and went to um, Jose Ignacio Garcon and um, uh, and uh, Bar Tartine. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, Chef makes our bread and um, a lot of the kind of um, lacto-fermentation techniques. So um, explain what lacto-fermentation techniques are and how it's applied to the restaurant. Uh, he would do a much better job, but um, basically we, we buy things in um, peak season uh, locally, and you know we serve them obviously through the, the peak season, but we buy enough for the entire year, and we take the rest and um, we lacto-ferment it. Um, and preserve it year-round so that we have a full pantry for... Canning, pickling, pickling you know, in other you know, words, and all that. December, so you'll January, take the freshest February. peppers or whatever. You'll serve yeah. them during their season, but you'll lacto-ferment them. That way we can have a seasonal restaurant with, um, you know, a much more kind of expansive menu year-round without having to um, source from too far away. So if, like, the summer, fall, you know, there's a, an abundance of produce and fresh vegetables and fruits. So you serve whatever's coming seasonally, mm-hmm. corn, tomatoes. Are you saying that as the winter comes around, you take whatever is available, but that's when you ratchet up the fermented stuff? Yeah, we, we still do some fermented um, stuff. During uh, the... During, um, mix it during the summer. Right. Um, just because it's a big, the combination of, um, you know, wood fire uh, flavors and um, fermented uh, produce is, is kind of, that that's our signature uh, combination. Do you do curing too? Um, yeah, that's a question for chef. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so asado, which is the wood fired grill, mm-hmm. which is very prominent in the restaurant. Do you have a gas line in the restaurant? No gas. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really a wood-fired, you know, restaurant in that sense. You usually think, if you know Francis Mallman or you read all these magazines, you see these huge slabs of meat hanging mm-hmm. down. But you're fairly vegetable-forward, as you said, right? Yeah. All the proper meats are there, but there's a ton of vegetables. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, there, there, there's also a big a big focus on, on health, and, and we try to have, you know, European portions where it's like the, the piece of meat on the plate isn't, Huge, you know. There's there's a lot of other things going on, and that complement exactly. So you're getting a taste of everything instead of a big thirty nine ounce ribeye or something. Yeah, no, but we have we have a fair amount of meat on the menu okay. as well. But if if you were a vegetarian or vegan, you could go to Meta and not, you know, leave full for sure. What about fish? Um, not as much. We we have fish. Okay. Um, yeah, we've done you know bluefish and bass and. Um, All right. So let's talk wine because. This is a pretty good setup. You can help me here. We're talking about a wood-fired grill, mm-hmm. very vegetable-forward, although all the meats are offered there. Fermented everything, <laughs> whatever's coming off the field, you're serving it and fermenting it. Things are smoky, charred, all kinds of stuff. So I would assume you have to design a wine list <laughs> different than, you know, your other restaurants yeah so what's the thought what did you have to move towards there more natural wine you know honestly with a lot of the kind of wilder acidities um with the fermentation so you needed more acidic wines we yeah we needed wines that would stand up to i mean if you're getting lamb and kind of a sour soup um you probably should have 
maybe, you know, an orange wine or some kind of chilled red or, or something that has a little bit more going on because um, otherwise it's just going to, it's not going to stand up to the complexity of, of the food with all of the fermentation flavors in the food. Right. Is there, had a red and white split, you would think wood-fired foods, a lot of meat, more reds. Is that necessarily the case or uh, that's naturally the case? Yeah, it's it's more the case. And, and then a lot of um, very structured white wines and orange wines. Um, um, we have an Arnaison um, by by the glass that has enough. What's, what'd you call it? Arnaise. The, from A-R-N-E-I-S? Yeah. Right. Um, so from Giovanni Almondo. Um, and, you know, it's, first of all, it's just one of my favorite white wines uh, in the world. But um, Pairs well with? Pairs well with most of our appetizers, um, in particular, you know, the salad. Um, it, would, it would pair well with um, the sour soup. Um, and it has these kind of really beautiful... Uh, racy acidity um, nice. and, and decent structure. Um, and then we have the Turpin Quinta Corto um, on the menu, and that is an orange wine by the glass that we have. The That's producer one. is? Uh, Franco Turpin. T-E-R-P-I-N. P-I-N. Yeah, and he has vineyards um, on both sides of the border between Slovenia okay. and uh, Friuli. Okay. So, um, yeah, he's a uh, pretty, pretty awesome uh, natural winemaker. And being able to pour that by the glass, a bit of a stretch. But um, People always think when you see wine by the glass, they're just pushing out, you know, cheaper wines. In restaurants like yours and in June, I mean, you go out of your way to curate wines that the glass offerings are spectacular and not available. Like mm-hmm. the wines we're talking about. Are they easy to find retail-wise? Not so easy, right? No. Um, and it just means we need to switch it up more. You know, maybe I'll be able to get 10 cases of something for the year, but I'll put it on by the glass, serve it for a month and a half, and then, you know, I have to find something else. But, right. You know, there are worse it's things than having moving. to taste wine. <laughs> yeah. It's always a moving thing. All right. So you told me what pairs well with some of the vegetables. Let's just get to the grilled smoky red meat is that where the cohor the malbec what else the cohor and you know again i i would say um the fumin pairs particularly well um i think it's named fumin because it has kind of a smoky flavor right. so we're definitely pairing like with like there but um that's, so that's a big takeaway today fumin yeah i'll i'll post them too. the arnais arnais um, those are favorites turpin. the turpin yeah. that go well with the cuisine that are unique and you know to your liking all right before we get to our wine list you are a big proponent of sustainable sourcing which we talked about a little and i think you do that with food and reality by supporting natural winemakers you're doing it with natural winemakers tell me what sustainable sourcing in food is how it applies to you and you practice it um well probably the biggest thing we do in terms of sustainability is um we buy all of our energy um, renewably and we cover um, our entire carbon footprint so that includes um, just the cost of existing as a business through immediately actionable pretty, pretty carbon admirable. offset investments um, I mean for me just just not having any impact would be the bare minimum and we're actually we're working on a program to try to do more than that so that we could actually have a, a positive impact on um, this uh, kind of um, humanitarian issue, so that that's something that I work on on a macro level. I would say that's important to you. Yeah, that's it's become kind of one, one of the main. If um, you're going to move forward, that's a mission that you'll carry with you. All of the restaurants are, right. are kind of buy renewable. Um, but do people give a crap? I mean, I, if I came in and I knew that going in, that may be one of the reasons I go in. If I came in and I stumbled on that, it would be you know very impressive. But then there are other people that would have a great experience and have no idea yeah i mean we I mean, don't how do you get that message out we don't you know um uh i don't i don't we don't talk about it a ton i mean i'm, I'm talking about it now but right. um worth talking about though right yeah I, I think it's something that 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 people don't think a lot about there are tons of pressures and competing priorities in in small restaurants um financially but i i think that if, if you in 2017 you're operating a business you have kind of a duty to yourself and um, everyone you know um, to 
do the bare minimum and cover at least your own um, carbon emissions. But um, I would say the chefs, um, you know, they, they build relationships. Uh, they, they go to the markets. They go to upstate New York. They, They're very supportive of local farming and farmers. Yeah, and they get a lot out of it. You yeah. know, they, they go to the land and they, um, you know, they see it. Sometimes people grow things specifically for them. Yeah, there's a very big connection now directly between the farm and the chef by way of the chef visiting the farm. Yeah, so let's say we're using um, some kind of uh, heirloom ancient grain for um, that's, that's from upstate New York. Um, I mean, they're actually getting better bread from having done this research and giving the support um, there's no sacrifice in, in buying local. I mean, it, it, it kind of, it, it's better for, for everybody. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the reasons I brought it up. And we'll leave it at that. Um, so that's uh, an important reason um, why your restaurants, you know, are, are stand above the others. All right, we're talking to Henry Rich. I want to subject Henry to our wine list. So, Henry, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Nothing hard. Don't get nervous. Sit back down. Um, buzz through them quickly. You don't have to dwell. I want to know your habits. So, right now, not right here, but what are you drinking now? I mean, are you trying certain things for the restaurant? Are you drinking seasonal wines? Something piquing your curiosity? Uh, Yeah. Um, last night I was drinking uh, Lagrange Tiffan um, uh, Pet Nut uh, Sparkling. Okay. So Lagrange, L-E-G-R-A-N-G. Tiffan is the... Yeah, uh, T-I-P-H-A-I-N-E. Okay. Um, it's Sparkling Rosé, and I believe it was a blend of Grolo, Gamay, uh, Cabernet Franc, and uh, one other, but it is, is just awesome. And, and Petnat um, is a once fermented sparkling mm-hmm. wine, almost always natural. Yeah. Right? Um, I was at my son's birthday the other night and we had a truce, a Petnat, a trousseau. I mm-hmm. forgot who the maker was, but it's a very fun wine to drink and it's delicious. Yeah. We had a Philippe Bernard trousseau on for a while. Nice. The orange fox. Yeah. This, this, I'm not sure what this was. All right. So that's what you're drinking now. Now, this is Henry Rich, not what you think other people are the restaurant. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something that just always makes sense or when it pops up or the opportunities there, do it? Um, I would say maybe uh, a bottle of Marciac and a salad. I'm weird, though. I mean, (laughs) don't underestimate yourself. You're very weird. Um, What is Marciac? Marciac is this um, region in the southwest um, that makes wine. Southwest of France. Southwest of France, yeah. Um, White grape? uh, No, it's it's a red grape. Red grape. Um, Fair Servadou. Um, That's Marciac. the name of the grape? Yeah, Fair Servadou, but it's also um, uh, uh, under a different name in Gaillac. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a red wine that has really, really light-bodied, but it tastes like kind of white pepper. and um, Spicy. Very spicy. And if you have some spicy salad with it, it's just an awesome combination. Okay. So I need to just hone in, this, hone in on this a little because I, I list this stuff. So Marciac is the wine. Mm-hmm. The grape you said is... Fair Servadou. You got to spell that for me if you can. Oof. Uh, F-E-R um, space Servadou. S-E-R-V-A-D-O-U. Okay. I'll double check it, but at least you gave me a head start. Yeah. All right. So that's a first for this show. I get a lot of like Muscadet and oysters, you know, but I, I, I give you a lot of credit for that one. All right. This Get out of your, not comfort zone, but get out of your own places. Your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. People outside of you that do it well, that, you know, when you go out, you know, you like what they're doing. You can give me something in Brooklyn, Manhattan, both. Um, In New York? Yeah, give give me New York City first. I mean, Andrew, Tarlow. Like he, he does a very, um, consistently good job, um, with his lists and he has been doing that for a long time, uh, before it was cool. And, um, uh, I think, you know, maybe I had for the first time I had the Yamag Olivier Cousin at diner six, seven years ago and it was eye opening. 
Um, it was it was just awesome. So him like you gives a shit about what he's serving, and when you go in there, it's well thought out. Um, any other places suggestions? Um, anything in Manhattan? Do you ever go to Manhattan? Yeah, um, you know I, I I've always had really excellent wine at uh, Estella. Yeah, um, Patrick uh, Thomas Carter. Yeah. Uh, extremely solid, and I guess I would yeah just go back further. Blue Hill, Stone Barns, um, extremely solid. Um, Good places. The wine guy at Stone Barns left and went to Lake Coco, mm. Coco, Coco, whatever. Charles Pullian. Um, all right, those are good ones. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? Is there something that guy in Princeton turned you on to and you never forgot? Do you have a birth wine? Someone else turned you on to something? Can you narrow it down to one or two or a type? Um, I, I weirdly really love um, uh, San Joseph. Uh, that ain't weird. Yeah. I, that ain't weird at all. That's just a terrific wine. Give me some specific makers. Would you say going on? Um, Who else? There, there was a guy that made um, kind of a. It was called a Colleen, um, like Rodian, maybe. It, it, it was in San Joseph, but a declassified vineyard. And is it I, still being made? Domain Durand actually was D U R A N D. Yeah, okay. and and it's just um, I, I brought in a case at Rukla and. Um, Every time I went there, I, I just would have to get it, kind of regardless of the occasion. I, I became, you know, pretty <laughs> obsessed with this one That's wine, one. And, and, and it was also significantly cheaper than, um, you know, classic. So it's a Domaine Durand, mm -hmm. Saint Joseph. Yeah, is it available? Can you hunt it down? Um, like yeah. would Dustin Wilson at Verve Wine, maybe have it or something? Or I don't know who brings it in now. It was brought in by a friend of mine, um, Kurt, who was former okay. Psalm at uh, Jean Georges, and he has his own import company now. And, and he he finds some really interesting, cheaper kind of fancy region stuff. We'll like. uh, we'll post that too. That's a good one. Um, all right, last question, and sometimes it's hard for people to answer this. I think you could nail this like no one else. I ask people to tell me the best wines they could recommend for around 15 bucks, a red and a white. My kids are in their 20s. They're going to a nice dinner party. They don't want to bring crap. They don't have a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So for around 15 bucks, you're not going to get much less. It may go up a few bucks. What are you going to recommend to me for a red and for a white? You can give me regions, makers, both. Southwest. Southwest France? Yeah, I, 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 would, I would definitely um, go for, uh, for reds, um, pick up a Gaillac, um, okay. or... Um, and that's in the yeah, price range? Cowar. You know, uh, a Malbec, you, you can get one for absolutely for $15. Okay. Um, something interesting for a white wine. I really, um, I, I like these uh, for, for cheap and easy white wines. I like Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blends from either Grave um, or Entre de Mer. And, uh, and those will come in at 15, 18? They can, yeah. Okay. Um, there, there, there's a, a wide range, but I, I feel white Bordeaux is actually really undervalued for you can um, get some white Bordeaux for yeah, 20 bucks a bottle. Exactly, and, and sometimes less. And it used to be white Bordeaux, I think, was more famous than red. And they, they still make some really grand wines. Not in our lifetimes. Yeah. Or, you know, our parents. <laughs> yeah, this is like two years ago. All right, those are, um, those are great answers, and I'm going to post those. <clears throat> All right, we're going to wrap the show up with our weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on uh, air. For our weekly wine sip this week, we're going to taste something a little different. I thought maybe Henry would enjoy it. It's a 2015 Dirty and Rowdy slash Cruise. Those are two different wine companies that came together. And they made an Alder Springs Ferment. Ferment is the grape. It's from Mendocino County in California. Um, like I said, this is a collaboration between Michael Cruz and the four people, Hardy, Kate, Matt, Amy from Dirty and Rowdy. Wine retails for about 35 40 bucks. It's mostly a mailing list thing, so go on their website. And good restaurants um, that know what they're doing will serve this stuff. We had an event in June, actually. I was going to ask you, what can you tell me quickly a little about the grape, the, br the brand, you know, uh, Dirty and Rowdy? 
Um, you know, Hardy is one of the most innovative, uh, probably one guys in the States. Um, Ferment, uh, is this Hungarian? It's a Hungarian grape. It's used to make Tokai, yeah. you know, the essence sweet wines. But it's used to make a dry wine. You don't see it a lot. That's, that's no. why I brought it in. No. All right, so no more... Um, Mystery. Let's just take it visually. Mm-hmm. Kind of a deeper yellow, right? Not pale. Right? Yeah. Deep yellow, strong. All right. Let's go nose. What are you getting on the nose? Uh, some kind of baking spices. It's like... You getting any citrus? Citrus and tiny bit of vanilla. Yeah. All right, it's let's a lot. Go. <laughs> it's a yeah, lot it's, going it's, on. it's a thick nose. All right, let's go mouthfeel. Oh, waxy. Waxy. Medium, medium plus? Medium plus. It, it definitely is higher in alcohol. Where, um, so hmm. it's higher in alcohol. Where do you put the acidity at? Good acidity? Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It has a lot to tie together, but... Um, I've had it before, and it was tart. This one isn't tart. It's it's mildly acidic with a medium mouthfeel. Feels good in the mouth. Yeah. But it, All right, let's, let's, let's talk palate now. What are you getting on the palate? Hmm. I definitely see what you mean by the tartness. Um, tiny bit of kumquat... Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Good one. And um which is sort of a intense condensed little orange type thing, right? Yeah. It's a weird citrusy thing. And clementine. Clementine. What maybe. else? Any mm. I hate this word, but stony or minerality? I mean any of that or it's, it's sort of clear of that. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to identify what exactly. I'm gonna pour some more. That's why you can't hear me. What else? You just can't stay with kumquats. No. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the citrus, it, grapefruit. Okay. Um, the minerality, it's, you know, kind of slaty, uh, but, but honestly, it, it's a little tart, f- tart forward. It is tart, but on the finish, I get a little, like, slaty mm-hmm. or stony or something. I yeah, what, it's a limestone. Yeah. What would you pair this with? What's a good pairing? What would I pair this with? Um, maybe some kind of white fish. Uh, maybe grilled. Okay. It could um, hold up to grilled? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All um, right. I mean, the, the the acidity is pretty pretty racy, it's, you know, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. It, um, it, it stays in the mouth. Do we like this wine? I like this wine. You know, I, I don't drink a ton of um, American wine, so, so for me, like a ferment from the... The U.S. So I brought it in. <laughs> I mean, you revealed yourself during the show. I mean, you go yeah. out of your way to find some terrific wines. I wouldn't call them crazy, but, you know, a lot of unique regions, unique types of wines and all of that. And I knew that either you had this and you knew it or you didn't. Um, I don't drink. I don't sit around the house a lot and drink a lot fruit. of ferment. Yeah, a little. Maybe. Mm. All right. So I like Great this wine. Juice. I think it's I think it's. Better the second time I drank it, and I was worried for mint, Hungarian, Tokai, you know, that it would be weird. Or like no, a, it's like a citrus salad. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. All right, so that's the 2015 Dirty and Rowdy collaboration with Michael Cruz, Alder mm. Springs, which is a famous uh, area. If you're missing summer in the middle of winter, yeah, just drink this one. Good one. Uh, from Mendocino County, and we like this. All right, Henry, we're going to wrap up the show. Um, if you have a wine question, a wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. I will post Henry's wine list answers, and I'll list the wine that we drank. We liked it. Um, you could follow us on Instagram at sbenruby. You could follow us on Twitter at benruby. And we just launched a new website, which I've been lazy to update with the last two guests, but I'll get to that. That's www.thegrapenation.com. www.com. Uh, www.thegrapenation.com. And Henry, 
Where can we find you and the restaurants on social media? Is that an important thing? No. Okay, I didn't think so, because in doing a little research, you're, I, I mean, every restaurant has a website. Yeah. And the works. websites are good, menus, They're wine fine. lists, pictures. So I would recommend if any of the, I would recommend you go to any of Henry's restaurants, but if you wanted to look them up or research them, just Google them and you'll get to the, each restaurant site, June, Rucola. Uh, Meta. Meta, for sure. And the event spaces, Purse Lane Catering, P-U-R-S-L-A-N-E. And nowadays, out in Queens, Ridgewood. Nowadays, out in Queens. Um, So that's the best way to um, keep up with Henry. Henry, I want to thank you for coming in. Thank you. Um, It's nice to be in Brooklyn and to have a Brooklyn guy who's put his heart into it. Um, food-wise, vibe-wise, wine-wise. So thank you for that, and I hope to see you in the future at some of your restaurants. So once again, thank you to Henry Rich. Thank you to our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.